0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to AZ Brandcast, where we talk to all sorts of awesome people about the power of brand and how to build great brands in a remarkable state of Arizona. We're the hosts, Mike Jones, and me, Chris Stadler.
1: That's awesome. And we're super excited to have a guest on today. Stephen yep. Shaddegg, who is the, did I pronounce that right? You did. Yep. Great. Because for a second, I was like, I screwed it up already. <laughs> you are the state director of the Arizona chapter of Americans for Prosperity. You're also very cool. Yep. Third generation Arizonan, uh, a native. Rare. And you have a passion for politics and especially Arizona politics. Yep. Which, knowing your history a little bit, makes perfect sense. I would hope so. (laughs) Yeah, I would hope so too. Um, And you have substantial experience working on and managing both U.S. House and Senate campaigns in the political sphere. In 2016, you served as Senator John McCain's deputy campaign manager before moving to uh, Attorney General Mark Brnovich's office as the director of outreach. Most recently, you served as Martha McSally's campaign on her campaign for U.S. Senate in 2018. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. And then uh, you're also the son of former Congressman John Shaddegg and the grandson of Stephen C. Shaddegg, uh, who managed campaigns for both or for Barry Goldwater and grew up working on his father's eight, six successful congressional campaigns <laughs> that is a mouthful a, and yeah, a, and degree, a resume resume yeah, full totally uh that's awesome in your free time which i assume you have tons of with all these <laughs> things <laughs> that you're involved in you used to like spending time with your family which is awesome your wife stacy family and friends boating and offshore fishing we're gonna have to figure we're gonna have to figure out a way to plug that somewhere in here there we go i like nice. to jump on that um so we're really excited to have you on. I'm especially excited to kind of your deep history and passion for the state of Arizona. There's like perfect alignment with our podcast because of yeah. that. And I'm really excited to kind of get your perspective, especially from kind of your political background and things you've been involved with within the state and kind of getting that perspective.
0: So we're going to jump
1: into that in a second. But first, Chris.
0: Yes. Uh, so our, we have an amazing sponsor, everybody, in case you haven't heard us talk about them before. Our, we have amazing friends at Conscious Capitalism who are our sponsor, Conscious Capitalism Arizona, where Mike actually serves as, what's your role again? VP of Marketing, I think is the official external
1: title that I have. Basically, I just make sure that people know about stuff we're doing,
0: which I'm trying to get better at while I build out my team. Awesome. Yeah. So, so Mike helps them in their mission. The local associate, the local association's mission, which is to share with the whole world how doing good in business is just good business, right? Yep. Uh, this local chapter of Conscious Capitalism Incorporated hosts tons of local events and provides resources for business leaders to instill a higher purpose in their company and engage all their stakeholders. So you want to be conscious? You want to know more about this? You want to, uh, you know, instill this into your business? Uh, Want to be around other people who have this um, idea uh, and share the ethos of conscious capitalism? Well, got good news because you can get in touch at ConsciousCapitalismAZ.com, ConsciousCapitalismAZ.com.
1: Or you can go to CCArizona.org. Arizona Arizona spelled out. We just changed the domain. Nice. And I forgot to update the show notes. Good job. So Good job changing the domain. Good job changing the domain.
0: Not (laughs) good job updating the show (laughs) notes, Mike. Great job. <laughs> okay, so to start us off, yes. Did you get uh, one last yes. plug
1: for conscious capitalism if you don't mind we have an event of uh, our of our member meetings on October 24th which is in two days of so lots of lead time for everybody to get that on your calendar and make sure you've got time for that Uh 530 to 730 right here at little 6 uh, Conscious Workspace. Um, and we're going to be kind and we're of to what the of covering what the new chapter look is going to look like uh, over the next year events that we have coming up, new programs that we're developing. Uh, we have a lot of really cool new things in the works, and we're excited to tell everybody about it. You do not have to be a member to come to this meeting because that's part of our rollout is new membership plans. So come to the meeting and find out how you can become a member, um, but also just get to know Conscious Capitalism here in Arizona and what we're doing and all the fun, awesome events and programs and activities that we have coming up in 2020.
0: Cool, so it's not too late to sign up.
1: Nope. Never too late to sign up. Okay. If you can't sign up because you, you know, I don't know, you're off the grid listening to this off the grid uh, and you don't have access to the Internet to actually sign up online, please just show up. We'll register you at the door. It's free. There's no cost. Makes it really easy. Is there food? There is food and drink. There's always food and drink. How do you have a I don't know how you do anything like this and not have food and drink. You got to do that. Yeah, that's like part and parcel. That, that is conscious I capitalism. Agree. How do you that's take great. care of all your stakeholders? You make sure their bellies are full. Yeah. That's that should be the first
0: that's the first rule. Is it free? It is free. That's a that was a trick question. You know why? Because you already Cause knew. Because there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's not lunch. I'm getting into economics. Okay. Um so the icebreaker question today. <laughs> yeah, so we have Americans on. for, for okay. prosperity, right? So um maybe a little freedom-oriented. We're all freedom lovers here. So um so what is the law that frustrates you the most?
2: Well, I guess I'd have to say that, unfortunately, the, it is not quite yet a law. Oh, however, it's in already 2021, frustrating, yeah. yes, it's already frustrating <laughs> me. It's been frustrating me for a while. Uh, but in 2021, the texting and driving uh, oh, law, yeah, yeah, yeah. which prior to uh, the governor uh, and his hard work on this bill, um, I actually was an adamant proponent of it, really... Uh, Felt as though at some time that that maybe the state would go in that direction. My only challenge to that was, if we're going to make a law saying that you can't text and drive, shouldn't we make a law that says you can't put on makeup and you can't mm. eat food and uh, so on and so forth? And you know. Mike or Chris can't be changing shirts while they're driving down the highway at, at you know, 60 miles an hour. Um, so, but at the end of the day, I mean, it comes down to a public safety issue. Yep. Um, and I can understand how, you know, we need to make sure that the citizens of Arizona uh, are kept safe and that our families is on the road. We don't have to worry about them. So, yep. That's exactly- yeah. And my guess is there's probably a, there's
1: a significantly fewer number of people changing shirts on the freeway than there are people whipping out phones. So I guess there's like a economy of scale, maybe.
2: Yeah, that might be the know. case.
1: I'm, I'm devil ad, devil's advocating here, so I, I don't know.
2: That's what I do. <laughs> I like to multitask when I drive. So I know
1: I'm. I this one's gonna
0: this one's gonna really hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Well, what's yours, Mike? I don't have mine, even though I wrote the question. Today. So mine is
1: more. Uh, it's less of the law itself and more of the interpretation. So now that we have a new partner who brought his business in and does video and photography, Mm. we now have a new tax license that we had to file for Uh, because the state about four years ago reinterpreted the tax code uh, to include video and photography as a sales tax, like a a taxable sales item or product. It's it's not not a service. It's not a a service. So it doesn't fall in that that exception. And as a service-based business, we've never had to deal with sales tax um, because all of our things fall outside of typical sales tax regulation. So that's a new thing that we've had to deal with. The license was like, okay, it's fairly easy. Yeah, charging the sales tax is kind of a pain. There's software to handle that. The big issue is that the city of Tempe last year did not follow the state's like interpretation. And so we were only owing, or well, we weren't, but Sam was with his previous business, uh, only had to collect sales tax to the state. Um, They have just in the process of getting this license, we contacted the city just to make sure we're all like all our I's are dotted, T's are crossed. And they're like, oh, yeah, so we're kind of reinterpreting that too now. And we we should know in a couple of weeks, we're going to follow probably the state's guidelines on that. I'm like, oh, so fun. So,
0: so fun. Get excited about that eight point one percent. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be fun. So uh so I thought of mine when you guys were talking. So I was getting my hair cut and um the lady was talking, she she brought it up, man. She brought it up about um <clears throat> about licensing, you know? And so I was like, huh. I was like, so what would happen if um cause she, you know, she was like, Well, you know, we don't want people getting sick when they get their hair cut, you know, because people not disinfecting the whatever, Because right? so you have to have that licensing. Like, what would happen if people, if you, if a hair place didn't have good practices and people started getting sick at that hair place? She's like, "Yeah, people wouldn't go." I'm like, "So why do you need regulation?" And she's like, "I'm not gonna go back to her just because I'm scared now." <laughs> anyway. So it's like it's that, uh, you know, it's that that regulation over things that really um, don't need to be regulated or um, where the benefit of regulation is just so small that in my mind, um, would just especially with like, you know, just all the the ability social media gives us to share bad experiences, good experiences, ratings and things like that. Uh, it just seems like the information is there already, and I'm not sure that we need the government making these rigid rules that can't flex and change to our needs. And so that, so, so, so that that's one of the uh, that's what that that's probably the law that you know it's the occupational licensing yep. overreach in, in my eyes. You know, so. you say that now, but
1: when you get rabies
0: from your when I get rabies, your- I will totally flip and I will <laughs> change my tune and I will admit it. It's right? gonna be rabies too. <laughs> It's I trying to grab like the most <laughs> random shingles. <laughs> shingles. That's okay.
2: Unfortunately, I think Different you have to consumption. go consumption. I think you've got to go back at your haircut there because you have. There's a follow up question you have to ask her. Okay. So I'm. I don't know where she's from, but uh, if she was to move to say Oregon and she already she has, has to that to license, re she'd have to relicense. Yeah, but not the inverse. Exactly. Ah, uh, not yeah. here. They just yep. passed. Is that a, was that a law or is that a? That was last year. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was actual. So we're the law. first state in the country uh, in which if you have a pre-existing license over a year that's been valid and you move to the state of Arizona, that license is still valid in the state of Arizona, which obviously creates a lot of economic opportunity yep. uh, for all types of industries.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Yep. And I came from Oregon, so. And this is <laughs> one of the reasons why. why. <laughs> Cool. So, um, so yeah, so, so we, we've, we've talked, we had a conversation before, which uh, was really interesting about Arizona's just a little bit on Arizona's history and just how and this podcast we're always looking for. We're, we're, we're looking for things in history, things in culture. They're going to help us understand what Arizona's brand is, right? Because, you know, Mike and I we work in branding and you don't make up a brand. You know, well, some agencies do, but we don't. You don't make up the brand, you discover it, right? You find out what's really going on in the company, what's really going on in the culture. And then how does that become a strength and leadership? So the question is always well, what is it about Arizona that makes Arizona so special and that allows Arizona to potentially provide leadership for the country, maybe, or maybe the rest of the world? You know, what is, what is so special about us? And so maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, Arizona's history and just kind of the whole. Sure. Yeah. Uh,
2: so, you know, when we had talked earlier, I said that you know it was a question that I, quite frankly, had not uh, really given much thought to at the time. Um, although, you know, growing up in Arizona and, and being around uh, and hearing of certain individuals, names and, and leaders in this state, uh, I've always heard about it. And, and, you know, but you never really think about man, what really does make Arizona so different. From so many other states. Uh, and if you go back and you look at it, and your question got me thinking about it, and the, the truth is that I really think it's at, at the core culture of our state uh, in some ways to be almost a, a pioneer state. You have people like Barry Goldwater, who obviously made a very successful life for him here in the state of Arizona. And Barry Goldwater, when he was a senator, firmly believed that power should rest in the hands of the state and not federal government. And when you put the power in the state, it allows states to drive what laws and regulations they need that are necessary, but also limit those that might limit the opportunities for economic growth. And at that same time, you have governors like Jack Williams, who once again really focused on building Phoenix as a metropolitan city Hmm. uh, and was very successful at doing so. And then... All the way down the road to now, you have people like Governor Doug Ducey, um, and I think it's that culture of uh, kind of the pioneer and, and being settled alone and outside and focusing on what's best for our state has really allowed us to focus on the economic freedom aspect of it. Which, once again, going back to Barry Goldwater, if you look at conscious of conservative. His main purpose, I mean, he, he outside of Ronald Reagan, some may disagree with this, but I feel as though uh, he was one of the kind of founders of conservatism. Uh, and at the end of the day, I feel like there's this, all this talk about is Arizona going to be purple? Is it going to be red? Is it going to be blue? And ultimately what I think Arizona really is and it's going to stay, which is conservative.
0: So we're having an so, so, uh, interesting conversation earlier about, um, about a city, right? So you have a city. And cities usually, um, cities usually lean, they start to lean more liberal, right? I don't know if that's always true. Sorry, that was a conversation Chris and I were having earlier. Yes. <laughs> so, you, we're
1: pulling you into something and maybe you don't want to suck to this. Well but, welcome uh, to our conversation that we had <laughs> earlier. Um, cities tend towards top-down like social programs uh, or welfare programs. Um, And that's not just an American or modern sociological thing. That's like a human history. Uh, When you see people congregate in one central location, there's opportunity for programs to be developed either at the government level or within a community um, that help beyond the individual. So that's part of it. There's kind of a natural flow. And then there's also a flow of like typically poverty tends to be attracted to cities, right? Because there's access to resources and people that you don't get outside the city, right? Like if I'm poor and I have an opportunity to, to move, I'm going to go where I have the most access to the most opportunities to work, the most opportunities to ask for help. And that's going to be where there's more people. Um, and that doesn't, that doesn't just happen like in a modern sense, like some of this is flowing out of a lot of study of, of Roman history that I'm I'm going through right now, and how like the cities became massive centers of poverty um, throughout most of like Roman history because of its access to like wealth, right? The wealthy were there. Those who are disenfranchised and impoverished, primarily from rural areas, who are put out of put out of work, really because the imported slaves um, into these into
0: these farms and so they all ended up in cities. Well I'm thinking of Oregon also. <clears throat> in Oregon everywhere outside of Eugene, basically outside of the I five is they vote there it's very red. Mm-hmm. And then um but like Portland, Eugene, very, very blue, right? Mm-hmm. Just polar, right? Um and so you, and so how does you know, what what does, what does that mean for Phoenix? And I'm wondering what the vision was for building Phoenix as a city even. You know, what's the what was what was the well I, it's a great question. I'm not quite <laughs> sure what the
2: vision but... really was when, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I do believe that, uh, and this is something that uh, at Americans for Prosperity, we really do focus on. Um, and I think that if you look at today's atmosphere, um, everything has become very polarized. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's right, left, you know, moderate, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and at the end of the day, I really do see the country, and I think Arizona is a good example of this, is going back to, is it about an ideology and and a party, or is it about a principle and the views and the issues? Uh, And with America's for Prosperity, we focus on the issues and not the party or the, you know, whatever letter, whatever, you know, was sitting next to uh, an individual's name, because at the end of the day, it's it's those policies and those issues that really create the impact on society in the state and across the country. Um, and I think that's key for moving forward, both here in Arizona and the state, is we've got to understand that we've got to tear through uh, the atmosphere that exist right now, and really get down to the core concepts of what makes America successful and prosperous and what makes Arizona prosperous. Mm -hmm. And I think that the vision for Arizona was for Arizona to, uh, although it was uh, the 48th state, um, I don't see that as as the importance of the state in general. Uh, I think if you look at the West in general, Arizona is kind of... uh, it stands out amongst others right now. Um, we are, uh, what I'd like to say, is kind of the, the, the last stronghold uh, in the West Coast. Um, and, and hopefully that stays true. And I think that is the case because of our conservative uh, philosoph- philosophical views that really were the foundation uh, back in the 60s and 50s and you know when the state was founded.
0: So one, one of the things I noticed about Arizona, I don't know if this is true or not. This is the, from from my point of view, you look at Arizona, you don't see like the 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 Republican are almost. You know, you see, you really kind of see like like you said, conservatism sort of, but more of a kind of like, look, just we don't like to be told what to do. You know, you, you almost get that, and 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 that's I always think of like the cowboy heritage. I always think about like the you know the Wild West, kind of like, yeah, it's wild. But it also requires you to kind of have to be strong and be able to deal with stuff because there's freedom. And when, when there's freedom, there's less safety. They're almost like inversions in, in of each other, right?
2: Yep. Well, and that's something that uh, we had talked about earlier, which uh, I've always been passionate about is uh, the, the kind of cowboy culture in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look to places like Tombstone. And the famous shootout at okay for 4L.
0: And it's um, the town too tough to die, man. Yeah, you know? exactly.
2: Yep. And then you still today, you can... I mean, Tombstone has become a little, uh, a little more tourist-focused. But you can still go up to places like Prescott, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, walk into the palace and see the safe where... Wyatt Earp uh, and his gang essentially would uh, stow their their take Um, and to me like how many places can you go to and really feel that culture uh, Mm -hmm. and that atmosphere and and, uh, fortunately for us uh, in Arizona something that I'm proud of from a traditional perspective is that you have places uh, like you know garki, who was a famous cowboy artist. Um, and you have other individuals like Marshall Trimble, who is a famous historian here uh, in Arizona, who keeps those stories alive um, for future generations. And, and what I think is important is that in order to keep Arizona and, and its culture alive, it's important that whether you were from here originally, or if you've moved here, that you understand the rich tradition that exists here in the state and, and carry that tradition on and let future generations know what they're a part of. Because I really do believe it's important for people to feel as though they are a part of something here in Arizona, something special. It's because Arizona to me is a special place. It's, it's one of a kind. Uh, and that needs to be passed down to future generations. And I'll certainly be doing it with my children.
0: Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. I think we're both like trying to work but also distracted by the fact that this is such an interesting topic and I think one of the things I said was I'm just like I just I know Arizona's special and I just want that to come forward and I just that I can't be the you know I can't be the one who defines what that is which is why we have the 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 brand cast but you know there, there's definitely something really exciting about Arizona and I think it the closest thing I can track it back to is just that that spirit of You know that pioneer spirit, and and figuring out like how do we carry those things forward. So I don't I don't know. Maybe you could help us understand that a little bit. How do so you talked about the legacy? You talk about that that history, right? That tradition. How how would we want to see those things carried forward in um, whether that's politics or culture or whatever?
2: Uh, So you know I think it starts uh, with in the home with family, uh, and it carries over to uh, our schools. Um, all the way down to uh, you know I haven't you know gone into a kindergarten class uh, probably in the last year or two years maybe longer than that Um, but you know in school I'd love to know how much do we talk about our state seal Mm -hmm. and the five c's Uh, because that that right there is the foundation of something that most people when we live in Phoenix Arizona or America maricopa county uh you tend to forget you know you got you know the, the copper cattle citrus climate i mean i would imagine for a third grader they're probably saying none of this stuff is around my house like it's all buildings and and you know apartments and safeway and you, know, you name it uh, and helping them understand and tying that to the importance of arizona and then, quite frankly, taking them on field trips. Yep. Uh, it, it doesn't take it, much to go Those out.
1: things are still there. Yep. And they're not that hard. Like, it's not like they've completely disappeared. Nope. Um, I think you have to work a little harder, maybe. You're not going to, like, drive through an orange grove, probably, in your daily commute. But you're going to drive through neighborhoods that were. And a lot of them still have those trees right in their in their front or backyard. I mean, like, Freeport-McMoran is still, like, one of the you know, kind of signature buildings in downtown Phoenix. If you do a Google
2: Maps flyover uh, of the state, you can pull out the mines really quickly. <laughs> you can. Uh, I'm guessing you've both been to uh, California. You've driven mm-hmm. to California, which means you've probably driven through Yuma. Yep. So fun fact, we'll, we'll quiz you guys here. Uh, agriculturally, in Yuma alone, what do you think the annual revenue is for the state? That's brought in through Yuma. Percentage oh, of annual agricultural Yuma. revenue that comes from Yuma? the number? Through is Yuma. Yuma. Yeah, in the county of Yuma, how much do you think the county oh. of Yuma, Yuma produces in agriculture with a dollar number? I don't, I don't know if
1: I'd have a reference, to even I, I would assume it's a very high percentage. Is it like,
0: what, 20% of the?
2: Oh, I'd go like 80, 90. Let's give you the number, $3.3 3 billion yeah, a that's, year. That's a lot of cash. Just in Yuma. So you talk about the importance of agriculture in Arizona. It's very important. Yep. Yeah, you just have to work a little harder. Yeah.
1: Than you used to. Yep. (laughs) You can't drive through. uh, I remember driving. I mean, this isn't even that long ago, like in comparatively relative terms. But like even just driving through like Chandler, you know, 20 years ago, you could have seen like tons of farming. Most of that's been developed now. But um,
0: in Queen Creek, it's just, yeah, there's all kinds. Yeah, you're right there. My parents have been gone for a couple of years. They came back and just like, what has gone on here? <laughs> the the other thing too though is um <clears throat> as you're talking about education, the building they need to build theory, right? Kids need to almost like research and write and internalize, you know, some of these ideas, right? And I'm wondering how much um how much uh, the school choice environment here in Arizona ki- you know to, uh, contributes to that as opposed to maybe uh, um maybe more of a public education heavy state that might be a little more prone to teaching civics and um, some of those some of those courses from a big government perspective sure i mean if you, if you i think that's a great question I mean the question is
2: what's the purpose of education um and right. and should we be focused on Are children receiving an education that is based off a set of metrics and standards? Or should we be focusing on educating our children on issues that they're passionate about and and helping them self-actualize and -hmm. understand that if they want to focus on agriculture uh, and they really care about that when they're in sixth grade, we should make sure that they they have the opportunity to attend schools that can help them grow that interest uh, into a career someday if they want to, uh, and they should not be limited essentially by where they live geographically. Uh, they, they should be able to have access to any type of opportunity
0: that they want so how does that work Because a lot of other states don 't do that Arizona seems to be uh, kind of on the front on the kind of leading edge of of uh, school choice. How, well why does it work here and it, it can 't work other places
2: well uh,
0: <laughs> Loaded question. I don't um, know. Right? <laughs> I would say that
2: it works here because, again, we have uh, a you know, great champions. People like uh, Governor Ducey have allowed those opportunities uh, to really grow. Um, I think there's certainly a lot of room for growth, and there are things that we can do coming down in the future uh, to create more opportunity for students, but. Again, going back to being proud of Arizona, I am very proud of what we have been able to accomplish here from an educational perspective in the state of Arizona and in other states uh, across our community of Americas for Prosperity. We're in 35 other states, uh, and Arizona is helping those states lead the charge in their activities at their legislative level Mm -hmm. uh, and to show them. Why educational opportunities and creating educational choice uh, is extremely important and not only extremely important, but everybody from uh, the public schools, well, district schools to charter schools to private schools can all coexist and we can all educate and help individuals and students become self-actualized.
0: Mm-hmm. How, does, how does Arizona's, um... so we have a lot of diversity then, right? In, in Arizona of thought because mm-hmm. of those, those schools. Is that, is that one of the advantages? Um, I know that there's, you know, standardization can be a really good thing sometimes, right. Making sure there are, there are standards. What's wrong with like a common core or like a, we want our kids to be doctors, right. And lawyers. and. Yep.
2: <laughs> uh, I think the, the issue uh, with standardized testing Uh, is one that I can actually speak to personally. Um, So when I was growing up, my parents, I think it started with, they realized that for some reason I had like some type of speech impediment uh, in like kindergarten. Uh, And so I started going to this like speech therapist. And then they said, you know, he doesn't see me picking up on things as as quickly. Uh, And so I basically found out that I had a learning disability. As I grew, I learned that I learned better visually and auditorial Mm -hmm. than from sitting there and reading it on a piece of paper. And so I struggled with the standardized test. Mm. But when you go and you do like an IQ test, it's like, oh, this person's actually a very gifted individual. So we're limiting individuals' ability to grow and be successful based on test scores. I just don't think that's a great model. Gotcha. Well,
1: it's a measurement of one dimension when you're measuring people who are multidimensional, right? This is the challenge of almost any kind of like standardized measurement of a person so i mean we talk about this a lot in our company because we use a lot of like personality behavioral style testing uh just to kind of like help disc. each other yeah like disc or uh myers-briggs or Strengths finder there's like 40 we haven't done enneagrams but that'd be kind of fun at some point anyway that's one of the things that we've kind of worked through is like team members get frustrated like you're putting me in a box right you're, you're boiling me down to four things really like I'm I'm way more complex than that, right? I, at least I think I am. And we go, yeah, you, you are. And the challenge is that when you only use one, right, to measure a group of people, you really are boiling them down to what is an oversimplification of being a human being. Well, And what, I think in terms of, like, when you talk about schools and kids, you're really saying, like, hey, we're setting a specific, not just a bar, but a kind of bar, right? So for, like, you... For, like how you needed to learn and how what kind of style fit you best was not it was not captured in that bar right And so it automatically kind of forces people out. And so if you don't have choice, right that's what we keep talking about. like that's the power of choice. Uh, you can whether that's within a more structured system like education or a free market, right uh, within a you know kind of consumer culture, right? Freedom of choice allows us to self-select the best opportunities, the best options, best decisions based on our own personal complexity,
2: our own context. Well, I was going to say, and and those opportunities should be available to anybody regardless of their income. Um, I I was very fortunate that uh, my parents recognized it. And I I had a private tutor twice a week, every week uh, from like, I want to say it was third grade all the way through high school and the individual that I went to, uh, she, she passed away uh, from cancer when I was very young, and it was a huge impact on my mm-hmm. life because uh, she, she really taught me how to learn. Um, and and one of the tricks that you should, she used to do was to have me take like my imaginary camera and snap a photo of it, uh, <laughs> so like visualize it. Um, and, and so like there are so many special educators out there, mm-hmm. and that that can understand individual students and. Understanding and making sure that whatever student it is and however they learn, they shouldn't have to go to someplace after school and they shouldn't have to be driven there. They should have access to that and they should be go there all day, every day, and and learn the same way as everybody else. It just might be that the tools they use to educate are different.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, a system that that decides we we can talk all we want about how oh we know everyone's different, but we have to have a standard for teaching. But it doesn't matter, right, because if the standard is this and we reward this, it doesn't matter what we say about people being different and how we, you know, can acknowledge that with our lips. But then, you know, the standards are still the standards, you know, and if you're rewarded based on a particular learning style, you know, then and and I don't have a chance to take my son, who I love deeply, right, out of out of that situation and put him in a situation where he might be more successful. I mean, that that's just heartbreaking at the family level, you know.
2: Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, and, and I think that's at the core. That's why it's so important that uh, as at, in this state, we continue
0: to drive those opportunities for our children. Well, and then, you know, thinking about it, you know, at the family level, but then also at the economic level. So now you're losing, um, like from a supply perspective, you're losing a ton of supply when those kids are told, well, you don't really fit in here. You're a bad kid. Or, you know, "You're maybe you're not that smart. You know, we're losing a ton of, of supply in the economy, a ton of thinkers, right, a ton of thought is, is not realized in our, in, our, in our economy.
2: Luckily, I would say that that's what makes uh, our country so great, is that if you look at people, like the most successful people, uh, people like the owner of uh, Virgin Mobile, uh, Steve Jobs, all had learned disabilities, uh, interestingly enough. And what they'll tell you is that they became so accustomed to failing. And being hmm. told what they couldn't do—that it didn't scare them anymore. Hmm. Oh, nice! And I feel like only in America can you have the mentality of keep telling me that I, that I am not good and that I'm going to continue to fail, and I will keep pushing forward through hard work, and I'll will be successful. And that's what you know really makes this country you know stand
0: out. Who, who, who's the who's the guy who says um, A students work for C students? Who, have you guys who heard that? that? That was. Uh, Who's the guy, the rich dad, poor dad? It's the rich dad, poor dad guy. Guy Kawasaki. He lives here. Yeah. Not Guy Kawasaki. Uh, Um. Kiyosaki? 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 Robert Kiyosaki. Robert. It's Robert.
2: Robert. For some reason, I want to say Dave Ramsey.
0: Yeah. If you're listening, Robert, sorry I'm messing up your name, (laughs) but uh, please, we'd love to have (laughs) you on the show. We'll find it here. (laughs) We'll we'll correct our mistakes in show. See, so, but but, but, what, what you just said, I mean, maybe in a society where it's a little more rigid, where the, the, you have a clear path from school to college, to your profession. Um, maybe, maybe that's not as true, but in America, maybe it is more true. Maybe that's why, because we have the freedom. Look, I don't, I'm like, I'm not a detailed person. I'm not going to be the A student maybe. Right. But I can lead a business because I can, I can, I can be like organized people. I can think that way. I can help people be better. I can delegate. I can let other people be, be strong where I'm weak kind of thing, you know, and so you can actually create a business and and be successful regardless of your grades and your standard at your SAT score. <laughs> Robert Kiyosaki. <laughs> Robert Kiyosaki. Oh, right. Author of awesome. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, among oh, other th- books, I believe. But. Love, love that guy. We love Dad. you, Robert Kiyosaki.
1: Well, I, I mean, that goes back to like, well, why is that student a C? Right. right? Yep. Is it because they're just a poor student or is it because... They're in an environment and held to a standard that doesn't fit their learning style, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you take away the standardization, when they enter the business realm where that standardization is less uh, in play, now they rise to occasions that actually fit them, right? And their abilities and skills and talents and behavioral style becomes a, a
0: strength rather
1: than a weakness.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, at the University of Oregon, you know, it was like I couldn't let students cheat, but at the same time, I was kind of like, "But if you're if you're working together on something, it's kind of like that's kind of like entrepreneurship, isn't it?" I mean, <laughs> I want you as my that, professor. That, yeah, so, I'm going to go out to school. That's, terrible. that's and my professor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that also you get a's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That also um, potentially takes us to uh, another question we have on the on the list here, which is. So maybe some of those students are maybe a little bit renegades, right? All right. So so that leads us to the question: um, What kind of char- character traits does an individual uh, develop in a free society? In a freer society, maybe. What do you What do you guys think? Are there Are there special character traits that kind of start you know get developed, tested, maybe um, in a freer society where there are fewer laws, fewer things to protect you from yourself? You know,
2: I would have to say that the the spirit of uh, Entrepreneurism 's got to be there uh, as part of that I mean when you 're not limited uh, by government telling you what you can and can 't do uh, you're you know, you're able to be a social entrepreneur and you're able to create ideas on your own uh, and whether you go out and actually apply those uh, and whether you, you know, succeed or fail uh, the, the the ability to do that I think creates a a culture of uh,
0: of hard work really <clears throat> Do you guys see that in Arizona a little bit? I mean, do you start to see that when you look at the entrepreneurship going on here? Do you start to see a little bit of that kind of, you know, what you just said? <laughs> Definitely.
2: Um, I think, you know, Arizona, just like other places, you know, Oregon, um, but in Arizona, except, you know, where you go back to people came here because of our soil um, and, if they were limited by government, they would have to stay back in the East Coast. Uh, but they they moved freely to our state. Uh, and I can't even imagine. I think sometimes I think back to it thinking of what was it like to live in Phoenix, Arizona when there was no air conditioning and you'd have to go out every, every
0: day week. of my life, I
2: think. <laughs> or at least all summer. Right? I mean, talk about uh, entrepreneurs. I mean, if yeah. that happened to me and I was here oh. in August, I'd be like, I'm out. We're going to California. Yeah. Like, let's just keep going until we find something better. I, yeah. And I think there's a. Uh,
1: There's a resilience that that's like that. I think spirit of entrepreneurism is totally right. And I think within that, there's some like sub bullets. Mm. One of them I've seen is like the spirit of resilience. Right. And I think some of that you can go all the way back, right? 1860s and guys are setting up farms in the valley and just hacking away at the dirt and trying to figure out how to make this work in, you know, 100 plus degrees all summer. I mean, that just blows my mind. Yeah, Like uh, that, what you just said, I was just like, why would anyone have the willingness to like stick that out? And there's really only one answer is they're just resilient people, yep. right? Maybe a little stubborn. Uh, <laughs> a, little, a, little a little crazy, bit, but... Little crazy, <laughs> a little crazy, a little stubborn. If you know the stories about how Phoenix started, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, they were a little crazy. Uh, um, the Wild West, man. But I think we yeah. still have that. Like there's still this sense of like, I'm not, I'm not in... I'm not hampered by anything other than like the constraints of the physical environment for the most part. Like it's pretty easy to stand up a business. It's pretty easy to get started. And really it comes down to like, am I willing to put in the work and the time and have the patience and resilience to get through every hurdle that's going to come up no matter what, right? Because I mean, that's, that's just entrepreneurism. There's going to be hurdles. And can I plow through that? Can I keep hacking at the dirt until I finally get the growth that I'm looking for? Um, I've seen that. And I think I've seen it even less so from a kind of there's like the governmental regulation side of things, but also from like an investment side. That's one of the common like complaints in in the startup community here is there's not enough money in the state. Uh, Or people who haven't, aren't investing it in anything other than real estate. Right. (laughs) Um, And that's, I think that's changing. But but that also at the same time is a positive because it forces people to get creative. Mm -hmm. Be like, how can I bootstrap this? How can I make this work without this like big influx of cash? Which has its own challenges um, and has its own pitfalls. It's not like one is indicatively
0: like better than the other. So now we're we're starting to see a connection, right, between between that that the character traits and maybe hope. I don't know. What, I mean, what all goes into that entrepreneurial attitude, and then um, you know that that kind of wild west, kind of like hey, don't tell me what to do, kind of thing, and then actual six economic success, maybe. I don't know. Am I imagining this uh, connection or no? I
2: mean, there's, it's clearly here. I mean, uh, every day you, you notice that people are coming from. California from Texas from you know places like New York uh and and the question I'd have to you guys I mean uh you you get on the show and and talk with business leaders every day and entrepreneurs every day you know why are they coming to Arizona
0: I mean one of the common answers which I hate um and I don't think this is the real answer but there's you know, it's a superficial it's, answer yeah and you know what i'm going to say mike yep. already right it's yep. just it's it's less expensive here
1: yep hmm. that that's part of it so i think like And, but I mean, we've talked about this a lot on the show because we keep getting that answer or we get it out in the community and and we're like, I just, I'm not satisfied that that's it. Part of it is, I think that that is, that is an outflow of some of these other things that we're talking about. Yes. Like, why is it cheaper here? Right? Yes. Some of that is demand, supply and demand, right? Like we don't have beachfront property. So we are intrinsically going to be a little bit cheaper than somewhere like California where the majority of people historically have wanted to be, because it's beachfront. I'm using air quotes, by the way. And they don't let you build on the Grand Canyon. Ninety percent right, of them so. don't own beachfront property. Yeah, you know, they're still you know our ninety minutes from the beach, which is not beachfront. Also, it's just as hot. So <laughs> just make that really clear right now. You guys are living in basically a desert. And yeah, you're ninety minutes from the beach, but
0: we're only five hours from the beach. We we might be a little hotter, Mike. Yeah, some days. I think like Anaheim, we're a little hot. Death Valley. (laughs) Death Valley is hotter than here. Death Valley is hotter. But I mean,
2: places like California, they don't even have air conditioning in most places. No, I mean, it's insane. The cost to run air conditioning in Arizona, like if you say just because it's cheaper.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's other,
2: and and that's a superficial, (laughs) it really only comes down to real estate, right? That's
1: only one economic factor that people are looking at. When you look at, like, um, I think a lot of hardware-based companies who are building major infrastructure as part of their business and why they're doing that here, what I see is not just, oh, well, we're going to use a bunch of land and we want to, you know, maximize our dollars, but also we want stability, right? Like, why are server farms popping up all over the Chandler-Elliott Road corridor between basically Chandler through Gilbert? Well, one, access to pipeline because the internet, one of the major hubs is right there in Chandler. And then secondly... When's the last time you got a major earthquake? When's the last time you got a major flood? When's the mass- last time you had a major fire? There's very little that's going to impact their day-to-day infrastructure and business. Um, and I think that's a huge advantage that we have. We're a very stable environment in which to build a, a real estate-based or, or a location-based business. Um, and then from a regulatory standpoint, like, yeah, I was going to ask that. I mean, I just know from anecdotal experience from like my cousin trying to set up a coffee shop, like a coffee shop. You can think of like, what's the simplest like hospitality based business that you could set up should be coffee. Right. And yet it took him over a year to do that in San Diego, where I know here it probably would have taken him like a couple months, couple hours, maybe <laughs> not quite a couple hours.
2: I hate to tie it back, but I would say that goes back to people like Barry Goldwater and, and allowing the
0: states yep. to have decision rights and not be influenced by the federal government. Yep. so well and i was gonna see if you um, so there's the stability in the sense that the natural stability no earthquakes whatever right tornadoes don't really have a ton of those monsoons but they don't affect a server farm it it might clog there's up a lot of focus recently
2: though on earthquakes i don't know if you guys have, have caught that but yep. like the last week or two i've noticed like people keep talking about oh you know we have earthquakes all the time in arizona but but they're very minor yeah, we're not on a
0: major fault line now Nope. Well, now that you mentioned it, we have 10 major fault lines. Well, we don't have beachfront in Arizona yet. <laughs> so
2: <laughs> I, so I, growing up, uh, front my front father front. would say and my grandfather actually say that uh, beachfront property in Arizona is one of two things. Either you're on a golf course <laughs>
0: or you're on mountain preserve.
2: Mm-hmm. That's
0: beachfront property in Arizona. That's definitely beachfront property. <laughs> yeah. They, they, people don't, don't tell people in California how beautiful they can be here, you know. Yeah,
1: and oh. and that's I think another factor. Um,
0: just we love you, California. Di- We're just kidding.
1: Different communities. We love people in California. We love the people of California. Yes. And I love vacationing. <laughs> I'll go vacation. <laughs> you know, people I know who are, who are in the business of attracting businesses to Arizona. Um, one of their big selling points is just like the state of living here, right? Like, so if you're t- looking from like a talent traction standpoint, obviously we have great schools that are pumping out great talent. Uh, in different categories. And we've had people on the show said, hey, there's different areas where that could grow. And I think that's true. Um, We're not there yet. Um, But at the same time, it's like when you think about like from a cost of living standpoint to uh, access to great outdoor amenities um, and outdoor activities to just beautiful landscapes. Like this is a place that I think a lot of people don't realize until they get here. Like, oh, wow, I enjoy Arizona.
0: I enjoy being here. Coming from Oregon, supposed to be a beautiful state, and it is. But, man, quality of life is amazing here. The heat of the summer notwithstanding, right? I mean, it's it's amazing.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, how many other states can you water ski and snow ski in the same day? <laughs> <laughs> Not there too many. Very few that
0: I can think of. Not yeah. too many. You could in Oregon, but I don't know if you'd want to water ski during snowboarding season yeah so, yeah you might need like a dry suit or something <laughs> yeah no yeah totally <laughs> might a hurt suit. a little more when you fall yeah. i mean we laughed but yes that's exactly what you do yep. you need a dry yep. suit. Yeah. um but i was going to make the tie-in too uh uh so the the stability the physical stability the the no earthquakes or whatever few earthquakes or light earthquakes. but what a, i know uh, one of the things that makes investment in the united states so so desirable is the stability and rule of law and so um, I'm wondering, is, is, the, is there a lot of stability with regard to legislation here in Arizona where, where the laws don't fluctuate as much? Or is there still a lot of fluctuation here in Arizona as well?
2: Ooh. Well, coming from a political background and, and understanding uh, policy and, and politics is at the end of the day, um, I would say that every single day we have got to fight to keep that stability Mm -hmm. Um, because yes, there is a lot of stability here in the state of Arizona. However, that stability would not be there unless it was for the people, the champions that we have here that fight every day to make sure that we keep that. Um, And and that really goes across the entire country. Uh, Freedom has got to be the top priority for Americans, in my opinion, Um, because if we do not fight for it, it will be taken away from us. And I know that sounds corny, um, but it's, it's 100% truth. Um, and every day, I don't know if, you've, uh, if you get in a rental car these days, now if you drive for more than an hour, like this little light flashes. And it's like, consider taking a break. It's like, wait, so I can't even make my own decision to take a break? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, like someday someone's going to say, oh, you don't get to drive because we don't trust you. Right. And that that right there is a is a freedom that we've got to fight for. I mean, uh, lots of people ask me, I, I drive a Ford F-250 um, and I had a, uh, a former boss who I will, will remain unnamed <laughs>
0: uh,
2: who asked me, why do you drive this truck? And I said, because I can, because hmm. it was my choice. Uh, now, there are other reasons um, I actually you know use it for towing and stuff. But yeah. a lot of it also is because I get joy. Out of driving the truck uh, and if i want to take on the financial burden of paying more for fuel uh, that i should be able to do that now we still need to focus on keeping those vehicles to a level where we're, we're polluting the atmosphere less however uh, that does not mean we should take away that right to do that yeah yep. and that and that really goes back to I mean you've just got to fight it for it and, and i think here in Arizona. That stability exists because the culture that we've created at the state legislature and, and across the state, which is uh, that we fight uh, regulation in every in every way, uh, and that it's easy to put something on the books, it's hard to take it off. Yep.
0: yep. So, so, so does that go into? Um, I mean, what's what's what? What are the dangers that are that are coming that you foresee? Uh, what are the threats to that that you that you see maybe some examples coming down the pike oh man uh, there, there's you're like let me count the examples yeah
2: there, there are so many um, that it's it's really hard to uh, pinpoint just a few
0: but uh, let, let me maybe let me ask it in a different way um, what What do people need to be looking for What, what do we need to understand about? about legislation coming our way or about lawmakers who are prone to certain legislation? How do we what, what do we need to know if there's like one thing that that we should be thinking about as voters?
2: as yeah. citizens, I would encourage uh, every citizen of Arizona to uh, look at before they check a box for an individual, um, look at the individual's record and really get down to what does that person stand for? Um, and once you ask yourself that question, I would hope that those individuals, when they're looking at what does an individual stand for, the real question comes down to is this individual going to give me more opportunity, more freedom? Or are they gonna put are are they gonna hand me that opportunity? Is it is it a right that I've earned that I have, you know, I, I should get X because I live and breathe, and so I should have access to everything that everybody else does? Um, or is it something that I want to be able to choose where I go and, and what I do and, and how I do it? Um, and I think it's important for people to understand that at the end of the day, uh, you can teach a lot of things with knowledge. But truthfully, at, at the core of every individual, integrity is really the only thing that you can hold on to That that is – pure and simple as yourself. Um, and I would examine the integrity of the individuals that you want to represent.
0: <clears throat> so, um, but, but, you know, let's say I have student loans and there's someone on there who, you know, who promises that I won't have student loans if they're elected. Um, what's wrong with just, you know, just, uh, I don't know, just, you know, throwing them a bone. I don't <laughs> 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 Help them out a little bit. So they can help me out. Well,
2: uh, I, I think that goes back to, uh, you know, as humans, we all have con- there are consequences to our actions, right? Um, and uh, one of the consequences of going to college is the financial cost that it takes. How um, dare you? I know. How right? dare you? Right? Put that
0: burden on me. I mean,
2: we should really go back to it as, as close <laughs> as free as possible. Um, if you went back to the Board of Regents and looked at that and, and uh, examined that further language. But the reality is that those are choices that we have to make. Yes, everybody deserves access to education that's affordable. However, it's a choice you have to make. Um, and it's a choice that if you look at kind of the way that that colleges are now set up, uh, they now have academic probation. And the real reason I think that academic probation was uh, implemented was because it, it the government wanted to make sure that we were not getting individuals in a position where if they continued to fail, they would never be able to pay off the debt that they were creating with that. Um, and uh, that drives back to you know, if you have the passion and the drive to be successful, and, and you know, sometimes you're going to fail, but shouldn't we give people second chances? And if, if the decision at that point is, I don't want to quit, and I'm willing to take on the financial burden that it takes to be successful here, because I'm going to be successful, then we should allow that opportunity but that's a decision individuals have to make knowing that there will be consequences of paying that debt off.
0: Yes. <laughs> no, I, I, you swung me. We also, you know, be- I was skeptical and I, I, I you know, but uh, you, you swung me. Uh, <laughs> no, I was, uh, you know, at that, you know, the, of course, you know, I have some exposure to the university. And, um, one of the things that you see is just a lot of the, um, you know, just the why are the prices so high? It's great that we get to build all this stuff and these new schools and everything, but why are the prices so high? And then you start to realize that so much of that is complicated by the student loans and and the expectation that you know education, uh, you know, education, the uh, four year degree is for everyone, and and um and so that that further complicates it because then you know you're thinking it does uh, complicate
2: it, yeah, uh, yeah, especially when you look at you know. Uh, 15 years ago you could go out and get a a private loan uh, for school now it's all federally funded Mm -hmm. Um, and so you know i think that uh, obviously creates a lot more opportunity however i think there's there's less hesitancy for an individual um you know private organization private uh, finance company will say look you know, it doesn't really look like this is a, a great decision for you versus, uh, in my opinion, government tends to say, here's a blank check, go, you know, go give it a, a whirl, see what
0: happens. I, I saw that there oh, was just, a PhD, PhD in um, outdoor studies. It was just hanging out, out outside and climbing rocks and stuff. And I was just like, PhD? <laughs> like, PhD. That's awesome. <laughs> Man, I got to go back to college. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. So am I not NAFTA? Applica- NAFTA? No, that's a different thing. Anyway. 100 grand, FAFSA. 100 grand so in I'm debt to go to rock climbing. That's your life.
1: <laughs> Pretty sure the rock gym doesn't pay enough. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's part of it too. It's like, yeah, we've, yeah, there's a, there's a whole other podcast episode. Well, to and be the had utility that, that you of, lose
0: going back to yeah. the supply side, you know, it's like, all right, you lose this now, you're getting a PhD in outdoor studies. But if you got one in engineering, you would actually contribute so much more. But they're given
1: equal weight in terms of the, like, what does it cost you to go get that PhD? Well, it's roughly the same cost as getting a PhD in engineering. But the financial windfall from those two PhDs is drastically different. Right. Right. Like our society doesn't value the PhD in rock climbing. Like, what does that benefit? And there's just less benefit to society and to businesses but you'll get student loans and fellowships for both yep exactly and you know probably instructors are paid similarly and programs are given equal relevance within the school and i mean there's all sorts of fun politics stuff we'll have to have jeff back on we'll have to anonymize him though (laughs) i don't know how we do that we'll have to like do the voice uh so he doesn't get in trouble but (laughs) (laughs) My, my business partner one of my business partners uh is a uh Lecturer at ASU. He's
0: got a PhD in philosophy. So Wait, he's got all sorts of fun. Just a fun experience. It is his like disguised voice. Yeah. The creepy disguised voice.
1: Yeah.
2: He'd love that. Yeah. So we'll still put his name on the episode. You got to get the, the <laughs> gentleman network email that has uh, the PhD in rock climbing on here. Yeah, let's do that. I need to find how one do you of make those. that decision. Oh, list, you haven't met this person yet. <laughs> you're out there. The program
1: exists. <laughs> There's a, still a question yes. mark whether or not they've graduated. Yeah, right. <laughs> and how
0: many students are actually enrolled. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, um, mm-hmm. how much time do we have left? Like zero minutes. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so you're going to have to let us know, um, put us in touch with the cowboy poetry guy because I want to have cool. the cowboy po- poetry cowboy historian and then we need to get some native american um uh historians on as well uh so do you want to do the? sure i can do the wrap up um
1: we didn't get to touch on it much and i want to give you a chance i know we have like zero time but we're going to carve out a little bit more time we can is there anything about americans for prosperity that you want to mention uh before we close out uh anything in particular you
2: want to plug or how people can find out more sure uh, I would say that if you want to learn more about Americans for Prosperity, if you care about the direction of our country and the, and the direction of our state, uh, and if, if I've said something on this show that you quite frankly just want to debate, um, <laughs> you can find us on uh, Americans for Prosperity Arizona on Facebook. And I think the hashtag on uh, Twitter is like at Arizona AFP possibly. Um, I should know this better. Um, but it's okay. Just search. Go to the search- website.
0: Arizona yeah. America's
2: for Prosperity on Twitter and Facebook, and you'll find us. Um, prosperity, also AFP. There we go. There we go. I even put them on there, too, and I can't remember. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, come by. Um, and if you're passionate about the opportunities and, and the direction of your life and, and you're happy with where it's going, I'll tell you right now, come talk to us. Come see us because you got to fight for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we do every single day, and it's a great feeling. It can be frustrating at times, but uh, it's, it's what makes our country great. So. that's awesome and i want to thank you guys for having me on it's been you know a bunch of fun so.
1: awesome it's been fun for us too at least for me i won't speak for chris he, he seems like he's sulking over there yeah i
0: uh <clears throat> no it's been a long time coming we've been trying to get steven on for a while and it's been mm-hmm. worth it it's worth worth the effort so appreciate it Steven. totally worth it thanks yep. so i just want to thank
1: everybody for listening uh and catching another episode of az brandcast i am mike jones and my co-host chris stadler And we are from ReSound, a branding agency here in Arizona, and we love Arizona, and that's why we do this podcast, uh, where we get to talk to amazing business and community and government leaders about our great state and what makes this place a special place to live and work and grow a business and grow a family and do everything that we get to do. So thank you, Stephen, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, If you want to find out more about AZ Brandcast, if you've been enjoying this episode and want to find out all the other great episodes that we have with some awesome guests, check out azbrandcast.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Google Play, all the normal places where you might be listening to podcasts. And we appreciate when you sign up, subscribe. And if you can give us five stars, wherever you like to review podcasts. Um, If you give us less than that, we don't want to hear about it, but
0: (laughs) we'll take five. Keep your stars to yourself. Keep keep your four stars to yourself.
1: We want five. and if you really want to keep in touch, sign up for our newsletter at azbrandcast.com. You'll get access to every episode as soon as it uh, is published. And you can keep up to date with Chris and I and all the crazy antics that we're up to. Shenanigans. Yep. And we are working on better distributing that newsletter and putting more information in it
0: starting in January. Chris and I were just working on that today. So. Yes, we were. And uh, we also want to thank our, mm. our, uh, our Karen, our engineer and uh the uh, phoenix business radio x um you're awesome we love you yeah thank you
1: for producing our shows
0: every month heart hands. and we (laughs) want to give a shout out to conscious
1: capitalism arizona uh, our very gracious sponsor and max six conscious workspace where this studio is hosted and who provides uh the great space and environment that we get to work out of every day oh yeah thanks everybody